gamers this is liz davidson from beyond solitaire but this week we have a special guest and that's actually me i brought jason perez on the show to interview me how you doing jason hey yo my peoples what's up this is the beyond solitaire podcast but for one episode we are going to turn the tables yeah and i just want to explain really quick the reason that we are doing this is that this is the last episode of my second season so after this app i'm going to take a little bit of a break and uh we are going to come back when i have some new good interviews cooked up but for now jason it's all you okay so uh welcome to the beyond solitaire podcast uh, i am stepping in because uh, liz and i are gaming besties and we have interviewed many, many people, so we're we're practiced at this, <laughs> so to speak. So the idea and what Liz wanted to do, and this was Liz's idea, Liz wanted to have an episode where it was a little bit reflective, um, talking about the podcast, where it's been, where it's going, why it's there in the first place. And so rather than a monologue, you know, I I suggest it's like I'm not doing nothing. It's eight o'clock in the morning on a Sunday, and I just need to splash some water on my face and uh, you know put on the old interview hat. And why don't I interview you? And uh, Liz, sounds seems like you thought that was a good idea. Definitely, uh, I you're the only person I trust to interview me. No, it's actually true, but um, I I love chatting with you and reflecting with you about things. It seemed like a perfect match. All right, so we are going to so uh, imagine everybody out in listener land. Uh, usually, Liz has the is behind the desk. Let's say this is like the Tonight Show. Liz is behind the desk, and uh, the guest is on the couch. We are now going to do the giant switcheroo. I am going to stand up and sit behind the desk, and now Liz is going to take her place on the couch, and we are going to interview Liz. Hi, Liz. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. Happy to be here. How are you? You don't get to ask that. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm all good. I'm ready to go. Let's do this. All right. Uh, so uh, the point of this episode is, like I said before, a reflection, uh, but not necessarily kind of your gamer origin story. I feel like that's out there. Like you've done, you've done a lot of guest spots on different podcasts and they, you know, you know, so you've been on um, sporadically bored and five games for doomsday and a lot of different shows. So I, I feel like you've gotten a sense of your origin story. Um, but I wanted to kind of pay forward a little bit and kind of talk about beyond solitaire, the, ch the channel and especially the podcast you have clearly devoted a lot more of your energy or a, a greater share of your energy to this podcast which is, you know, going pretty strong. You have very interesting guests. So I thought it would be interesting to begin by kind of reflecting on how the podcast has developed. Uh, what was your original vision for the podcast and have you realized that vision? So that's a big question. So let's start with um, when you started the Beyond Solitaire podcast, what was your vision for it first uh, on, the first, um, on the first idea when you started it? So... What's interesting is one of the reasons I wanted to do this reflection is that I'm not sure I had a very cohesive vision, but I had a really strong desire to do it. And sometimes when my gut is talking like that, it means that I have to take action because right. I, I, I do think that when you have a strong creative urge that is persistent that you that you just do it and see what happens. Uh, so why a yeah. podcast? Because you have Beyond Solitaire, the, 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 you have the blog. You have the YouTube channel, you're a contributor to Dice Tower, and you've done all these other things that I've mentioned in terms of, you know, guest spots all over the place. What is it about a podcast in particular that excited you about moving in that direction? I think it's because I like to compartmentalize a lot of things that I do. You know, my channel is very much about tutorials and solo games and sometimes puzzles, but I wanted more room to kind of do what I wanted with right. my podcast. And I felt like having a podcast that is specifically my passion project where I just do whatever I want and nobody has any particular expectations of that was a perfect way to do it. I also think mm -hmm. that it's easier to get unusual guests when they're not going to be filmed. Not yeah. everybody is a person who's used to being on camera and coming on YouTube. And hey, do you want to be in my podcast? It's just going to be like a little phone call that I record is a much easier pitch 
because mm. a lot of people that I bring on my podcast are people who are not board gaming people. They're people who don't know me. Actually, my mm-hmm. first interview was with a uh, classic scholar who I saw at like a Latin convention for kids. And he gave a talk about Roman board games. Actually, I remember pitching it to you for ENGN. And you yeah. said you didn't know if it was a fit. And I was like, you know what? I could do my own set of interviews that are whatever I want. And I could go do it. So he was my first guest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how it begins, right? It begins with, so, okay, why podcast? The answer I'm hearing is just conversations, right? I mean, your your show, Beyond Solitaire, could be whatever it wants. But when you're in content, I think, like, whenever you develop a, a property, right, and it gets an audience, it's not really yours anymore. Like, it's there's a, a, a contract between you and the audience. And, you know, not that not that the audience is the boss so to speak like but there is no boss or like there's it's this kind of like shared sense of responsibility so do you feel that do you feel that when it comes to the beyond Solitaire blog and the, the whatever your else your content is like there's an expectation that grows around that and it makes it a little bit harder to kind of like you know really radically change gears yeah i think so you know people subscribe to my youtube channel specifically for solo board game stuff and i feel like if that's not what i'm delivering and i even feel like puzzles are pushing it a little bit but they're so board game adjacent that that's where i put it um you know i actually also have a sub channel for books because i wanted to start booktubing and talking about what i was reading but i didn't really feel that my main channel was an appropriate place for that because that's not what people subscribe to that channel for and it just mm-hmm. felt not quite right Right. So, you know, if you want to hear me talk about books, Beyond Solitaire Books, I'm just a creatively restless person. I'm all over right. the place. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 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 just to editorialize a little bit on my part, that's what happened to Every Night is Game Night. So it started off as a solo gaming podcast. And that's like, we talked about solo games. And I was like, okay, that's cool. There's a lot of solo games. <laughs> there's a ton of them. And there's a huge community. So I was happy with it. But then when I would like try to want to stretch beyond that, when I want to guests that you know, what are not solo players, but I just want to talk to them because either my friends or they're interesting or whatever, I, I'd get a little bit of snapback. And it wouldn't be like vicious. It wouldn't be, you know, like, oh, well, now I'm never going to watch this again because you have this person on. Uh, I, I, you know, but just that I, I, I don't want that friction. You know, like if I do something, I, I want to, to have it embraced. Does, does that make sense? Like, is that kind of where you're coming at it from where, uh, as well. So like, if you do something, it's like that little bit of friction, even if it isn't a big deal, it's like, I don't want that to be there. Let's just like do something else so that if I do something, it's embraced. Yeah. I I want people to know the version of me that they're coming for, if that makes sense. I mean, you are, you are large contained multitudes, Liz. You are many faceted diamond. (laughs) I mean, I'm really the same person everywhere, right? I have the same Mm -hmm. ridiculous bad puns and the same ridiculous sense of humor and all of that like you can't change who you are or at least I don't bother to try but I feel like the podcast is it's actually my favorite thing that I make because it lets me explore gaming in ways that I personally find more meaningful so the other reasons podcasts exist is because I you know and I talk to you about this because we talk about our channels and about everything um I sometimes have these sorts of feelings where I'm a little bit creatively stymied or I feel like my channel has become work and I don't feel like doing work and it was supposed to be fun. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I've really been suffering from with the YouTube channel in particular. And it's not that I don't like to make tutorials. It's that they're really a lot of work. And in order to keep up a steady schedule of them, especially as I've tended towards heavier games, that was going to take up more and more of my time while I'm also mildly traumatized by being a teacher and teaching in person in a pandemic. And mm-hmm. it's just, it's, you know, it's been a rough year for having the motivation to do more teaching right now, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. I think like, so we're both reflective people. That's why we get along. We we're just talking about that in the green room, so to speak, uh, before the show. And like, especially in the context of this pandemic, I think that, you know, you know, you try to use games as escapism, but you know, if you're, any bit of aware, then there's no escape. (laughs) It's kind of there all the time. And it's kind of, even if it isn't on our minds, it's on our energy. And, you know, like if, if we're playing a game and it's like your brain is elsewhere, you know, there's nothing wrong with the game. Like we're not going to sit here and say, oh, well, you know, I think that I don't want to give that impression. I know you don't either of like, well, this is beneath me or this is whatever. It's like, okay, it's, it's about energy. And like, sometimes our energy is not in the tutorial and not in the just a game-focused content. Is that is that fair? 
Yeah, it's absolutely fair. And I think the other actually connected that in a way is the other reason why I'm particularly attracted to doing projects for this podcast is that I feel like when we talk about board games, there's a large tendency towards board games are escapism. It's just a game, but I am an incessant navel gazer. It's just who I am. (laughs) Nothing's ever just anything for me because it's the academic in me. I can't help it. And the podcast gives me a way to explore, I think, some of those deeper conversations and deeper thoughts we can have about games and what they mean and what they say about us Mm -hmm. and how we can examine ourselves through gaming that really, you know, people who are coming to me because they just want a tutorial don't want. Right. So then, yeah, exactly. Like, it's all about what people want. We We want to give the people what they want, but like, it has to be from us. And right now, I think the I think we're both on the same page where it's like, okay, we have other things to give, like, you know, above the table, so to speak, rather than, you know, just on the table. So it's, beyond the table. Ah. Right. I mean, because <laughs> I remember we talked about like, because you we had chatted, we chat all the time. And when you first started in the podcast and you, you said it, like you didn't really know what you wanted to do. You just felt like you had this urge. And I definitely feel like over the two seasons of the podcast and seeing the guests and seeing the topics and hearing just how you're talking right now, you have definitely clarified your purpose with the podcast. Uh, so maybe, and I know you've kind of mentioned it, but like, kind of, let's, let's kind of drill down on that, that, okay, what is the current purpose of the podcast? What do you currently, what is your current intentionality behind the individual shows and the, just the overall vision of what the podcast is offering? I think that if you look at all of my episodes in aggregate, especially because they have very different topics, you know, I'll talk to Matthew Kirschenbaum about Kriegspiel and its history, or I've talked to you about gaming and therapy, or, you know, I've just talked to Christina Carl about how she connects her work as a sports journalist to her love of games and gaming. Um, I think what I'm loving is that every single guest that I have that you know, that I bring onto the podcast has something to say about games that makes me think about them more deeply, Right, makes me reflect on myself and others as players, makes me reflect on games as something that can make a statement and that is crafting an experience as opposed to something that I'm just doing mindlessly for fun. I think the podcast is really about being mindful about games and thinking about how we can get the most out of them as opposed to treating them like, Oh, it's just a pointless toy. It's just a game. I think that, yes. So like so many podcasts out there are, you know, these are the toys and we're going to talk about the toys, (laughs) you know, and that's, that's fine. That's great. And I feel like, you know, I think, I think you as, cause I, you know, listening to your show kind of as it developed, you kind of developed this voice of like, okay, I am not playing with a toy. I mean, yes, I am, but there's like a mind inside the toy. And I want to talk with people who are also either making those games and putting their minds in the toy or have like smart things to say. So like at the end of the day, Beyond Solitaire is a podcast that is above the table that wants to make you think. Is that a good way of kind of summing up what your current kind of raison d'etre of the the show is? Yeah, I think that that, I think it's definitely designed to make you think. And I would also say that my my feelings about this definitely come from the fact that I have an academic research background. You know, when yes. you study ancient languages, people got a lot of information out of the Oxyrhynchus papyri, which were literally a trash heap that someone found in the Egyptian desert full of discarded things and receipts. Imported documents have been found on papyrus that was reused to wrap mummies. Things that are discarded or that you don't think that much about necessarily can actually contain some of the most important bits of evidence, insights about a life, about a time period. And so I think I'm just incessantly looking for that. Mm -hmm. All right. So then um, I'd, let's get into just some of the individual episodes and, you know, just, you know, some of your favorites, so to speak. So like, you know, kind of reflecting, you know, when you do a podcast for a while, there are certain shows or certain ideas or certain guests kind of stick out, you know, and not, we love everybody. They're all our children. <laughs> we love every single episode. <laughs> uh, we don't want to choose among them. But I guess I wanted to, I was curious as to, you know, what were some moments that you remember where it's almost like you feel that like, ding, level up or like, okay, I figured something else out that I want to do now or something that just sticks out. It's like, wow, I really learned something. Um, so I'm putting you on the spot a little bit about that, but maybe you can kind of go sequentially, like looking at 
you know, the, you know, high points of your show and kind of go from there. So like maybe we'll like, so I'll ask it this way. What was kind of the first high point where you either learned something or it really stuck with you about, you know, what you were doing? And I was like, wow, I, I really did something there. So I will say that my favorite thing about my podcast is that I always have a great conversation with whoever's on it. And I've made so many friends through it, actually, that it's been life changing just in that respect. But I think there was a pivotal moment in the first season. I think it's like the maybe the sixth episode mm-hmm. um, with Caitlin Leong. So she just wrote she's just a she's a master's student at Georgetown who is brilliant, by the way. And she wrote this piece that I saw in PacSims about professional wargaming and getting more women into it. And I didn't know that professional wargaming was really a thing. I never thought about it. And I was like, I must interview this person. This is just so cool. So I just reached out to her. And fortunately, she responded and agreed to come on the show. We had a delightful conversation. But it also changed the fabric of my podcast because I thought, oh, I'll just interview this one person who's into professional wargaming and then see what happens next. But mm-hmm. instead, I ended up making internet friends with a bunch of professional wargamers who I now talk to and discuss games with all the time. Mm-hmm. And it got me you know, invited to wargaming Facebook groups where I made more friends. And I would say that something about that episode because it caught an audience that I wasn't expecting. And I don't think they were expecting me either. Um, (laughs) It, um, it really changed the way that I view games, the kinds of people that I could imagine talking to about games. And I not only just really enjoyed that interview with Caitlin in itself, but talking to her opened up my entire world as somebody talking about play with other people. And it was just really something. Hmm. Um, and you, I think you got connected with the Zenobia people through that, right? Um, yeah, actually, you know, I got connected to Zenobia because I'd already talked to Harold for his podcast. And then I interviewed um, Volko and his son, Andrew, about Falling Sky. Who are these people? <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> okay, so Volko is very fancy and famous in Wargame Land because he is the kind of main coin series person. Okay. who also cultivates other designers to create coin games. Um, he's also a former CIA, and I don't want to make him mad. No kidding. He's really nice. <laughs> he's a really nice guy. <laughs> you don't want to get on that list. No. <laughs> no. Only the good list. Only the good list. No, Vaka's great. Um, but because I talked to him and Harold, and they are really the minds behind Zenobia, they then knew me as somebody that they would pull in. One thing that both of those those guys are great at doing is finding people who might fit a community and pulling them in. So mm-hmm. they've both kind of pulled me along since I got to know them. And I'm really grateful for that. The the, mm-hmm. the wargaming community among like designers and pro wargamers who also talk to designers, it's really it's really a beautiful thing. Something I think is underappreciated. I was gonna say I also really loved so there's a lot of I love talking to teachers. So I've talked to my former high school teacher who can get kids to play GMT games in AP Euro, which is amazing. Right. And I love talking to Christiane Hins, who I did meet through Zenobia, about her world history class that is taught entirely through gaming. Mm. Just, whoa. You know, I I've just ended up finding people who are doing things with games that are really meaningful, really mm-hmm. interesting. So I think, like, as... So you didn't know what it was at the start. And then as you do it, you just kind of like coalesce into, you know, ideas, right? And I think like some of the ideas are definitely wargaming, definitely teaching, definitely kind of the academic side, like the arguments that games make and the ideas that that are put forward. Because you do a lot of wargaming. So it's like there's ideas in that or like just, you know, games that feature some kind of like historical component, like, you know, Elders Bow or the, uh, uh, a historical Euro or something like it's they are all every single game comes from a perspective. And every single game makes an argument. So, you know, and it's been exciting to kind of, you know, see, you know, buckets. So like I'll, an episode will come on and I'll, be, and I'll say, oh, that's in this bucket today. <laughs> Not that they don't, you know, cross, but it's it's nice to kind of have a, you know, again, you get that that uh, that merge. You know, you feel connected to a, a thing. And then it's like, okay, it's, it, this is the part of Liz that I'm getting today. So um, I guess like, you know, I don't want to ask what your favorite is, Um but I am curious, is there like, is there a, a um, kind of a, a fire in the belly thing that happens? Like, is there one part of that, like the, the teaching thing or the historical thing that like, it's like, oh, wow, I'm going to really get to this. Like with me, it's mental health. Like anytime I can do mental health, it's very exciting, uh, you know, in a, in a deeper way. Right. 
So then for, for you, is there, is there one, one bucket of concepts that just really like lights your fire in the belly and says, okay, this is something that I'm really, really looking forward to. I really want to do. Oh yeah. The thing that makes me the wildest is talking about gaming as a historical argument. I think one of the reasons I've gravitated, I'm I'm an omni gamer in practice, but I like to talk about, and I like to cover games that have kind of a meteor thematic element to them. So war games, historical games, games that are meant to evoke something from a historical period, because I feel like they give me the most to grab onto and then kind of analyze later. So I actually, this, so recently I, uh, this is earlier in February, it's episode 35. I got Megan Norcha, who is a professor to talk to me about gaming empire. And I have been trying to get this woman to come on my, uh, my podcast for over a year (laughs) because (laughs) she wrote this book called gaming empire, where she literally analyzed gaming for children in the british empire and how it shaped them good episode i I, but Mm -hmm. to me i think that everything that we play is shaping us in some way that we may or may not be conscious of Mm -hmm. and looking at historical games and their arguments is the easiest way to kind of lay that bare for Mm -hmm. me and give me insights about that i think that every game that you play is telling you something and it says something about our culture about us Mm-hmm. But it's it's just easier to see when it's about something like a war or a historical period mm-hmm. or, you know, something that you can really actually research and grab onto. Hmm. Yeah, I remember the episode. Of, uh, so I do have a, a personal favorite, the episode you did with Cole Worley about the historical arguments. And he's like a super reflective guy. I mean, I think he does he have a doctorate? Yes. Yeah. He and I are both post-ac, which is one of the reasons I love talking to him. <laughs> <laughs> it's not only all the content it's like oh man I'm, what about this part of the thing i can't believe <laughs> you know you kind of talk a little bit of shop i imagine yeah i mean it's it's the other thing that's really nice about this particular podcast is that you know talking to professors talking to people who think about history in in similar ways to me means that i'm finding people that i have a common language with and a common set of interests with and it's really personally fulfilling especially in a time when it's hard to socialize uh, I mean, emotionally, this podcast does a lot for me because I'm making connections with people who are really interesting. And it reminds me how wide and amazing the world is, even if I'm spending most of the time in my apartment. Yeah, I mean, I think that's, um, you know, because that's also a context on like I, I distinctly remember the the pace of the episodes increasing just a bit when the pandemic hit and throughout 2020. So is that also a impetus as to why the podcast seems to be, you know, kind of really churning stuff out? No, you know, actually, this is this started in May of last year. So we were already into the pandemic and I was teaching from home and I was like, this is a perfect time if there's ever a perfect time to start a new project. Um, what I actually have been doing is I think of my podcast in 20 episode seasons. So this very episode is the end of season two. Then mm-hmm. I'm going to take a break. And I'm going to think through what kinds of people I would like to interview and get them lined up for season three. Uh, There's two reasons for that. One is, as you know, being somebody who's trying to release content on a regular basis can be really, really stressful, especially if you get behind and you feel like there are deadlines to hit. And I never want to feel that way about this podcast Mm -hmm. ever. I want to always love this podcast as much as I do now because I really, really love it. The other reason is that I try to be very thoughtful about the, uh, the interviews that I choose to do and the guests that I choose to have, I, you have the, I don't know where you get these people. I honestly, (laughs) I feel like I interview the same 15 people all the time on my show (laughs) and you're like, you know, reaching out and getting some like, you know, rural games teacher in Nepal or is like, what, who are these people? I want them to show on my show. (laughs) But the other reason I'm doing this is that I, this is actually one of the reasons my channel output has changed and kind of slowed over time is that I really believe in trying to create things that have enduring value. I would like right. for people to be able to discover my podcast in five years, in 10 years, and still be able to get something out of it, which is why you'll rarely hear me talking about, you know, just doing a bunch of banter or like something that's really recent. Um, yeah, the, the latest and greatest, here's the hotness. And like, the, the, there's no hotness. Like Beyond Solitaire is hotness proof. <laughs> but there are other people who are doing that better than me anyway. And that's not really where my interest lies. But I, and the other reason I've started to focus, I make, think about the videos I make too. I make reviews 
I make tutorials. I'm trying to make things that still have utility after mm-hmm. some time. And I come to my podcast with that same approach. And so I make myself stop. Like there are more people I could interview to make a longer season for the season, but I'd rather just wait for season three so that I have a cohesive set of episodes that are meaningful. And it doesn't look like I ever just went for filler because I don't ever want anything on this particular podcast to be a throwaway episode, a filler episode, something that I made to fill time. I actually despise the term content because it just sounds like cheese mm. food, you know, something that fills time. <laughs> Pasteurized <laughs> process content. That's what we do. <laughs> and I want to make something that is meaningful and that has use. Actually, it makes me think about, you know, my, uh, my dissertation advisor with, you know, he and I have an abiding love-hate relationship. It was some of the best moments of my life have been with him and some of the worst. But he gave good advice. And one of the things he always told me was that scholarship is temporary. In 30 years, somebody's going to just challenge whatever you said. And the conversation will move on without you. The only way for a person's work to last is for it to be so useful that nobody replicates it. Mm. And so be useful is something that I thought of when I was writing my dissertation when I was thinking of things to write. One of the reasons I left academia is because I don't like to create filler. Mm-hmm. And I felt like I had to come up with something to say instead of the thing to say. Yeah. So if you don't, if people don't know, just that there's a publisher parish, we call it. So, you know, when you become an academic, you have to publish in journals and it doesn't matter. Like it really, like, I mean, it does, you have to get accepted, but like, as long as you're publishing and as long as your CV like grows in length, I really do feel like in order to get tenure, some people like kind of measure your CV in inches rather than like in content. And it's just like, it's, it's the academic version of content. Yeah. And I mean, I'm a chatterbox in regular off hours life. I love to talk to people and I totally waste time talking all the time to probably to some people's dismay. But when it comes to publishing. Liz, no. <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> but when it comes to what you're putting out there, right, what you're creating, I feel like everything that you create says something about you. And it is important to me to make things that have some sort of value, that have some sort of meaning. Because to me, that means that I have value and that I have meaning, even if that's not necessarily accurate as a perception. Have you ever gotten any kind of pushback from that? Have you ever gotten the, it's just the game pushback? Like, you know, let's like let's focus on like why we're here type stuff, you know, and like all that stuff is great. And you know, you're having all these conversations. And I find that people especially get that way when issues of representation come up, because now people feel threatened. You know, now people are like, oh, well, what am I, you know, uh, I'm not a bad person. I'm not this, that, their thing. I'm just trying to enjoy my game over here. So like you have done episodes about, you know, female representation. And I think you had one uh, episode of like, you know, gaming for the blind or something like that. Uh, And so have you ever gotten any of that kind of pushback or is it just like you've established enough of enough guardrails early to kind of avoid most of that? I think the answer is kind of. So people generally eat up my more purely historical episodes. My episode with Cole Worley is actually one that people have listened to the most so far. And that got a huge number of downloads. We're surprised. Um, you <laughs> but, were surprised. You know, that episode was amazing. Yeah, I but I mean, it, you know. I got to do it multiple times. That thing was great. <laughs> but what's really interesting is that people never complain to me about my podcast. And people never seem to have a problem with my podcast. But I do tend to get dislikes on the episodes that are about more politicized issues, such as inclusion, yeah. such mm-hmm. as women in gaming. And it's it's very interesting also that, you know, my my I did an episode with Rex Brennan where he had gamed out the election and, mm-hmm. you know, they had already known that there was going to be some very questionable stuff happening in American politics. And we talked very frankly about that. That episode got more than the usual number of dislikes. So basically, mm-hmm. if people don't like what I'm saying, they get cranky about it and hit the dislike button. But fortunately, at this point, I have not gotten any like mean emails or anything. Okay. I've gotten the occasional comment that I've had to delete, but it's pretty rare. I'm so far, knock on wood, pleased with the fact that people who <laughs> don't like what I have to say either hit the dislike button and leave or just aren't saying anything at all. Right. I mean, it's not that I don't want to have an intelligent conversation, but that's not actually possible on Twitter or in a YouTube comment thread. Sure. So, you know, there you go. <laughs> okay. I mean, I mean, 
some. <laughs> I mean, it depends on. So I think that you are a person that if as long as you engage the content, you'll engage them. Right. As, as long as they, even if they disagree with you, you know, as, as long as they're engaging in good faith and whatever the platform is, I think that you will try your best. <laughs> is that is that fair? Yeah. I mean, look, I'm a teacher. I have to teach everyone right. who comes to my room, no matter what their beliefs, beliefs are at home, no matter what their parents are telling them. And like, there are things I don't permit in my classroom, such as being mean to each other, saying intolerant things that hurt other kids' feelings. You know, generally you have to be a decent person who's decent to other people in my classroom. Beyond that, it's not my duty to tell you how to be in the world, only to show you how to think well about things. And mm. that is the attitude that I have in my podcast. I try to let my guests say what they're going to say and not interfere too much. You know, there have been things that are said that I was like, ooh. But um, ooh, I, okay. I'm curious about that. <laughs> I don't know if you want to go there, but I'm, <laughs> you've sensulated my curiosity. Ooh. Oh, no. I mean, the people who are talking about social issues, I by and large feel comfortable with that I've had on so far. Uh, mm. I will say, Falco, I love you. I have so many questions about basing a game super hard on a source by just Julius Caesar when he committed lots of genocide and we don't really know about his opponents except through him. Mm. So as a, as a Roman historian, I have many more questions about falling sky, but as an interviewer, I was not about to like start sure. something with Volko and Andrew who did a perfectly good job with their game and paid attention mm -hmm. to the source they used it's just that from a historian perspective professionally working in that field i have i have concerns because we had the same issue when it came to commissioned which is the christian board game about the spread of christianity in the early period and it's very much from kind of an inside out perspective of you know here's how the scriptures developed there were only x amount of books and you know we just it, it was a process like finding them and uh you know there's no real resistance in getting the you know the, the getting con converts and everything and that game is making an historical argument as well and it's like okay historical argument where the texts are dated wrong and where you were assuming the correct outcome like yeah. No, it's the, that that game is not for me because it's pushing a narrative that I think is very simplified in favor of a worldview that I do not agree with. And so, like, I mean, I think we can kind of have I, I don't want to get down too in the weeds because this is about you and your podcast, but it is worth kind of framing. Right. That don't all games do that. Like don't games have to do that, especially because there's, and, and there's also different audiences for games, right? So then, you know, a game like Commissioned is not for historically, you know, uh, sophisticated folks. Like it's a simple game and for, you know, simple situations, families and all that kind of thing, you know, even like some Waro games, like, you know, are not necessarily for people who know, who dive into the different historical arguments. Like can a game be complicated and still be a fun game can a game make like contain multiple historical arguments that may even contradict one another you know is that what you know our games like, again like i know we, we don't we both resist the idea of it's just a game but there are frameworks and there are boundaries there and, and what do you think of that absolutely well that's why we have that's why that's why this podcast exists it's because every game you have to make certain assumptions even within the rules of that game you have to choose what options you're right. going to offer your players, which also reflect your bias and your take on a situation. And what you're offering is being offered typically to people who are not historical experts and very frequently neither are the designers. And that's not necessarily a problem, but it is a cause for reflection. And being aware, I think, is more important than making sure that everything is absolutely correct, if that makes sense. It's... Right. It's more about being alert to, you know, what impact is this game having on me? What am I being asked to do in this game? Mm -hmm. Is this something that is just, you know, can I just dismiss this as an exercise that was amusing? If I play this enough times, you know, what will I see? What will I feel? And I think that just talking about it, just thinking about it raises your awareness in a way that makes you able to have, I think, a deeper experience of playing games because your eyes are open to its larger possibilities. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and that's what this. I, I like how you said that. Like that's what that's what this podcast is all about. This is about framing the arguments. It's about having those discussions. And yeah, I mean, it's hard to kind of like totally hide behind the screen. I think that you know, I I had this myself as well, where you know, it's hard to kind of just take that completely professorial role. Like I do think we both of us have skin in the game, so to speak. Like I think there are worse and better arguments. And, you know, like, I think you do a decent job of like kind of stepping back every once in a while, but there have been times where it's like, oh, okay, Liz is, okay, <laughs> Liz is coming down somewhere. Um, are you aware of that? And are there times that stick out in your mind where that's happened where it's like, okay, there's a professorial aspect that I need to take, but then there's a, a I'm, I'm on a side here and I want to try to navigate how do I express my opinion? I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with being on a side because everyone's on a side. Um, I think that my job as the interviewer is to occasionally push. And actually one of the reasons I wanted to have this episode is because you can generally tell what I think by the questions I ask, but it's not explicit. And I think that there is value in being pushed to be explicit about where you're coming from and what you're thinking, because it's misleading to pretend, oh, it's just an accident. I'm a perfectly objective interviewer because no one is that. And so knowing things about me and where I come from, I think might make my podcast more understandable Mm -hmm. and more something that people can appreciate or not based on what they know about me. I mean, think about, you know, when you read a piece of classic literature, not that I'm that at all. Oh my God, no. But you read about the (laughs) author because- Well, you're not turning Homer's Iliad around in uh, in your sleep. You don't have one under your pillow. I mean, I have a copy of the Odyssey sitting like three feet away, but that's because I'm a Latin teacher. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I avoided the, the Latin one. I'm wondering if the other classics uh, call to you. Uh, Actually, yeah. I mean, I, I'm reading, I'm rereading Portrait of the Artist as a Young Man right now in preparation for reading James Joyce's Ulysses. Oh, I, you are insane. Oh, please. Yes. I mean, yeah. But people who are listening to my podcast <laughs> should probably know that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> because, you know, knowing a person's interests and knowing a person's leanings and knowing that they know that, I think makes it easier to process what they're saying. Mm-hmm. I think that sometimes being too quiet about where you're coming from just leaves a door open for people to make assumptions about you that are bound to not be fair. Right. I like to think that I give other people a fair shot. And, you sure. know, I want to be given a fair shot. And I think it's... um it's important to be clear with myself about what I'm doing and what my project is so that I can also be clear with others. All right. Um, okay. So we did have a listener question and I, I would be remiss if I didn't uh, at least address. So this is from a listener, Corey Mayo. Hi, Corey. Uh, from the great state of Texas. <laughs> uh, it is a great brother. state. That's where I'm from too. There you go. <laughs> Got a lot of love for the Texans over there. Uh, so he, uh, you do have a podcast, right? And that, I think that's gotten a lot of your energy. But I think he noticed the trend of, a, you know, in, at least in your other content, a little bit more camera-facing work. Like everything when you first debuted, it was a lot of like kind of, you know, camera at the table, R- Ricky Royal style. And then as things have gone on, it's been a little bit more kind of on camera, more more of a personal face, personal voice coming out. Do, are you uh, aware of making that shift? And if so, what, what do you think about that? I actually don't feel that it's a shift. If you look at my very, very earliest videos, I actually was more, I you had parts of my face and I experimented with, you know, being funny and doing skits and stuff like that. And then I realized that I didn't like it because everything that I do is actually about being to the point. If you put me on your show to have a chat, then I'm just going to chat with you because I'm naturally a chatterbox. But my playthroughs are very bare bones because I want that. I think that people just want me to get down to business, do the business, and leave them alone. I think that in a, in a review, which is where you're going to see my face, I think it's actually very important to see my face when I'm reviewing something because I think that that gives you the authenticity and emotion and nuance that you need to interpret what I'm saying. In some ways, I like doing video reviews better than written ones, not because I don't like to write, which I do. I'm still rethinking how I want to handle my blog, which I haven't updated in a while. Mm-hmm. But I like being able to give criticism about a game, but with facial expressions and a tone of voice that can, I think, reveal more about how I'm really feeling. I tend to, right. to record reviews that are where my opinions are fairly fresh. Mm-hmm. And so I think that when you see my face, there's a reason for it. 
And that mm-hmm. reason is, you know, it's related to the purpose of what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's, it's funny. Cause I remember I getting that question. I'm talking about a podcast. <laughs> It's like, okay, but you answered that question before uh, where you said it's a, a lot of the podcast conversations is about the guest, right? And what the guest is comfortable with. And a lot of times the guest might be comfortable on the phone. Like I actually have in my own therapy, I have clients who are more comfortable on the phone. They're like, get me to get this video out of here. Like I, I, I think better and I can access more of my feelings when I'm not looking at something and when I'm not, you know, I could just talk. Right. So, yeah. you know, and, and I, I imagine you're like you're having a you, you've been reflecting about kind of navigating, you know, video and, and you know, audio and, you know, stills, and the different ways in which you kind of like engage with people. Yeah. You know, the, a lot of the people that I interview, you know, my former high school teacher, a professor, sometimes I'm somebody's very first podcast. Right. And. I feel like giving them the feeling that they're just talking to me on the phone is the most relaxing way to interact with me because they don't have to worry about how they look. I mean, everybody who's been in a Zoom meeting knows you're constantly worried about how stupid or not you look when you're in the frame. (laughs) Um, You know, it's distracting. And I like to strip things down to get what people are thinking out of them Mm -hmm instead of have them being distracted by how they might be perceived by others. And I want to eliminate as much of that, that paranoia as possible, because I mm-hmm. also think that the very best interviews and the very best conversations have a rawness to them that is impeded by thinking about how people will perceive it later. Okay. Well, that's a lot of the questions that I had. Did you have any additional reflections about the podcast that you wanted to make sure that we got in into the body of the episode before we get into kind of the future uh, thinking? Yeah, I, I think just reflecting on this conversation, it's one of the reasons I wanted to have this conversation. I think that you reflect on yourself through being forced to put what you're doing and who you are into words. Right. And I think what this podcast has done for me is it's been personally great for me in terms of making connections, but I also do think that it reveals a lot about where I stand on issues of inclusion, on political issues, on, Mm -hmm. you know, historical interpretation, things that you might not have known about me from just watching my playthroughs come out in my podcast, even if I'm not the one who's talking. Mm -hmm. And it's been really interesting to think about what my podcast says about me as much as what it says about games or about other people. You're always telling multiple stories when you make something, you know? Yeah, I think like I like what you said there about like forming thinking. I think there's this idea that like, you know, I'm listening to somebody, they have ideas and they're turning on the camera and sharing their ideas or they're turning on the microphone and sharing ideas. And maybe I don't. Maybe I have like the seed of an idea and it's the act of making the content that is me watering that seed and growing it up and cultivating it into something that's a little bit more you know, okay, that's what I'm thinking as opposed to kind of where I was before. I'm not making the content. I'm just thinking, and it's just kind of a jumble. So in a way, the act of making content is not just presenting thoughts, but it's actually cultivating our own thoughts at the time. Like there's this reflective episode, obviously, that helps in that process. But even in every individual episode, you're, you know, it's like, wow, I, I like not only did I present an idea, I clarified my own thinking so that when I'm talking, making a comment, you know, or, you know, responded to somebody's comment or something like that. Like I, my thought is now more clarified and my conviction is a little bit more kind of like attuned because of the content and engaging in that content creation process. I know you hate the word content, but I don't have another word. <laughs> I know it's a word. I use media a lot, but content's the default. So it's the default. So like I, 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 I actually absolutely agree with you. I don't. I do not want to make content. I do not want to waste. Fi- you know, filler. That's what content means to me. Is filler. I don't make filler. <laughs> neither do you. But you know, it's it's just a word. But anyway, like so. I mean, I, I'm guessing you were on the same page with that. Where it's in the it's in the process of creating that piece that we actually kind of move the ball forward on our own thinking. And that's another thing that you kind of get out of the podcast. Yeah. I think that you make things because they benefit you as much as you think about them benefiting other people. Right. And not just benefit us like in views or clicks or like, you know, you know, no, it, a- it benefits us in our growth and our own growth. Definitely. All right. 
So let us uh, to look at the future. So we are, you know, so that is Beyond Solitaire. It's a, pod it's a podcast that makes you think. And it's a podcast that wants to go above the table and be historically critical and bring in issues of inclusion and, you know, all the things that Liz does. And I think that, you know, this was a really great pause to kind of consider everything that's that, that's happened, how it's grown from that, in, that first idea where it was very inchoate, but now it's like, okay, it's pretty formed at this point. So then we're closing the book in season two. We're looking forward to season three. Uh, you mentioned before that you wanted to take a little bit of time to reflect on, you know, kind of like, okay, who do I want on? But do you have some ideas? Do you have some future directions, maybe either enhancing what's already been done or opening up some new frontiers for you? So maybe uh, let the listeners in on a little bit of thoughts about that. Yeah. So what's really maybe this is a bad idea about my podcast is that I'll probably plan out five or 10 interviews that I'd like to do. And mm -hmm. then the rest will just happen naturally. And I have to trust that that's going to happen. Cause as I discover people and read things, I get ideas and right. then I just start contacting people and I see what happens. That is absolutely how it works. If, the, if there's a Twitter thing that blows up then, or like, you know, some idea that happens, it's like, okay, that gave me a thought. I'm, a, I'm going to jump on it. So much of content just happens like reactively that way. And that's a good thing. Oh, yeah. But if I read an article, you know, I started actually, this has been interesting because it's put me a lot more in touch with my academic self. I've been reading a lot more game study stuff again. And I think there are a lot of people doing a lot of interesting work that are out there to talk to. Um, I, because the Zenobia award is happening, I would very much like to interview some of the people who are creating games in the later stages and talking to them about their thought process and, and the viewpoints that they're bringing to wargaming. Um, I actually would like to have maybe an, another voice on here that is more conservative. Uh, I know that we mm -hmm. are in a culture right now where we have a hard time giving airtime to views that we don't agree with and that some people might find harmful depending on who I talk to. But I think that there is value in talking to people who are different from me and mm -hmm. that it can be done without a fight. So I think that, you know, I'm looking for the right person to have that dialogue with i can think of a million people but they're not the right people <laughs> right <laughs> because i'm picky you know my podcast episodes have to have actual value it's not i don't do things just to do them sure. and so you know i'm i'm willing to have ideas and cut them because i don't think that they work i'm willing to have something appear and embrace it because i think it does mm -hmm. and you know so those are things that are on my mind but I'm just going to take as much break as I need to, knowing perfectly well that season three is going to happen. Probably start recording it before it starts to run. Mm -hmm. And then just uh, sit back and let it flow. Yeah, so you don't have any, well, besides having like a, a, a different viewpoint, it's going to be more of the of the Beyond Solitaire that we've come to love. Like it's going to be more Cole Worley. It's going to be more Megan Norcia. It's going to be like those kind of voices. Yeah, although actually, you know, I want to have Marco Arnado on again, you know, Marco Wargamer, now Marco Omnigamer, because he makes really interesting games about Cthulhu and is very mm -hmm. into Lovecraft's actual work, is very knowledgeable about it. I need to finish my reread of Lovecraft so I can have him on and have an in-depth talk about how he relates to literature that people find problematic, how he subverts it through his games. You know, I'm always looking for something interesting because the thing is that I'm a, an endlessly curious person. So I love things that I have to do research for too and like topics that are interesting me in the moment. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always looking for something that's going to make me grow too. Because stagnation is basically death. So, you know, <laughs> I mean, you could say more Cole early, but if I have Cole on here again, it'll be to have it'll be because I have something that I want to talk about with him, not right, just because right. he's Cole. Does that make sense? Yeah. Who is Yeah, no, no, that I totally makes sense. Like I, I guess I not, not that I meant like the specific people, but like those types of conversations. Yeah. Like if you enjoyed those episodes you are going to get more of those episodes with different people on different topics, but kind of within the realms that you've established over Definitely. the course of two seasons. Yeah, I think there's still a lot to mine there. I think that um, there are not, I, I can't think of any other podcasts that are quite like this one. And so I'm just going to keep letting it be my quirky, you know, side passion project for as long mm -hmm. as it makes me happy, which so far looks to be for a long time. Absolutely. So um, I am not good. I am not going to even attempt the way that you close the show. So I'm going to, uh, now we're going to stand up 
Uh, I am going to leave the desk. You are going to leave the couch. We're going to switch places again. And I'm going to hand the reins back to you, Liz, so that we can close the show the proper way. Absolutely. Jason, thank you so much for for doing this. I hope that you did not mind giving up this time on your beautiful Sunday morning to humor me. Uh, I hope... (laughs) (laughs) I I like your navel. Uh, Let me me gaze at that navel for 45 minutes. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? this episode had actual again utility for the people who listen to this podcast and that it was helpful in some way because that's I mean, it's a good process episode i mean like people like not everybody but like a lot, i think a lot of people love just process stuff it's like you know it's like a making of type thing it's like you you know 19 episodes of a show and then for the 20th episode we're going behind the scenes and people watch that you know like the people collect dvds all the time so like this is like if we're collecting the beyond solitaire dvd collection this is the uh the, <laughs> the director's edition or something let's go further <laughs> 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 so as i like to end things jason where can we find you online uh so if you like my interview style and some of the thoughts that i have and you are maybe this is the first or second time you're uh getting to know me and the way i, I present content i am a content creator content 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 <laughs> anyway uh, <laughs> <laughs> My channel is Shelf Stories. It's a YouTube channel where I engage in not the same conversations as Liz, because if you get me to play a war game, I will, I may just like drop dead right there. Cause I have just, I I haven't been able to do it, Liz. I'm sorry. It just not, it's not working for me. It's okay. Perfection maybe, isn't for everyone. Maybe I need you to just, cause uh, you live in Atlanta. I live in Connecticut. So like we need to kind of shrink that distance a little bit so you can open up that world for me. So no war gaming content for me. However, uh, his, history, historical arguments. Uh, I'm a mental health therapist, so I have mental health um, show episodes that I do called Shelf Help. Uh, I've been doing a lot with culture in my Good Trouble series. Uh, so these are and these are video conversations. So that's just something I get a lot more out of the video. And maybe at some point, Liz, you can do the same thing for me, and I'll talk about what Shelf Stories is all about. Uh, so that that'll be cool. Um, I'm also a reviewer on the Dice Tower. That's where I get my fun gaming content and also a playthrough person and podcaster on the One Stop Co-op Shop. So I am a lot of places, Shelf Stories GBL on the Twitter, uh, user Pope Sixtus on VGG. I'm very, I I will talk to you. I'm not quite the chatterbox Liz is, but I will (laughs) respond and I do like to engage. So uh, that is Jason from Shelf Stories. And uh, Liz's bestie. So hopefully this will not be the last time I'm on the show. God, I hope not. Uh, so I will be putting information for Jason in the notes of this show. As usual, you can find me anywhere on the internet as Beyond Solitaire. Happy gaming, everybody. Later, everybody.